When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hola. Bonjour. Privet. Moi. Guten Tag. The heck are you doing? Welcome to the Normal Not Normal podcast with myself, James Phelps. And me, Oliver Phelps. Guys, thank you so much for joining us today. Now, if you're wondering why I said the first two there are a bit more husky, it's because somebody actually asked me to. They said, you know, when you say privet, maybe say it a bit more, you know, a bit more rugged. So I tried to. I probably sounded not very well. But anyway. You sounded like an old man who smoked 50 a day, who's, you know, the ones who won't leave you alone when you go to a pub. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I was there once. One of those people. Anyway, in yeah. this series, do you, want to say, do you want to explain what we're doing? No, right no, 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 no. You go, go on. Right. Well, in this series, we talk to some of our favourite people to find out what normal means to them and ask, does normal even exist? And in this episode, we're talking to Holly Arnold, MBE, self-described, and I think very fitting, javelin queen, Paralympian champion and reality TV contestant. Yes. So Holly qualifies for the Paralympics because she was born with as a right forearm. And over the years, she's won many, many gold medals and broken multiple world records for throwing the javelin. And in 2020, she also appeared on the UK reality TV show, I'm a Celebrity, and she inspired thousands when she opened up about her mum's depression. So we can't wait to be able to talk to her today. Yeah, she's a fantastic individual, a really, really bubbly person as well, which was really nice to get to know. And also, I'm just blo- I'm always blown away by athletes. But I, I, we talk about it in the show. But I remember seeing her win her gold medal in Rio uh, whilst smashing the world record in the process. It's fantastic achievement. So we really hope you guys enjoy it just as much as we enjoy talking to her. As we say, she opens up about a whole range of stuff. So I'm sure a lot of people can take comfort and maybe even a bit of advice from some of the stuff. What's being said as well. But uh, in the meantime, James. What have you been up to uh, this week? I see you've got your normal, not normal official merchandise wearing right there, which is available, everybody, now at represent.com forward slash normal, not normal. Guys, thank you so much for all the positive response to it. And I'm so happy to see that there's already been a few orders made already. I wear it with pride. Yeah, it's, it's been good fun. So this week I've been more stargazing, which has been good fun. I think, like I said, at the end of the last one, I've got my new telescope. So I've been getting to know that more astrophotography which has been very good, sitting outside with a blanket late at night trying to catch some because the moon is now, it was a full moon a couple of weeks ago, so it's not that great to go stargazing then because it takes up so much light. But as the moon goes more towards a crescent and a new moon, eventually it's easier to do stargazing. Random fact, but a did you know fact. So is that is is that your did you know for today? No, I've got many more to come after after the interview with Holly. But what have you been up to? Uh, I have been, there's a couple of things actually, a couple of um, projects that I've been involved with, but I had a real conscience moment the other day, you know, and you just feel like really bad about doing something. So um, I put a new, um, it's like a garden room in my, it's like a glorified shed pretty much at the bottom of my garden. Put it all up, all looks good. The guys were finishing off the other day and I got a knock on the door from the neighbour who lives back in on type thing. And uh, the lady who lives there knocked on and just said, um, can I ask what, what that is? 
I said, uh, yeah. So I, I showed her in the back garden and everything like that. And she was, oh, oh right, okay. Um, oh, I just wish you told me that you were putting it up. And I was just like, oh, no, I didn't, did I? Which is one bad form from me. I'll stand up from that one. I should have done that. And uh, and she said, yeah, just uh, I quite enjoyed just sitting in the back garden because I could see all the trees and everything in your in your garden. And it's kind of blocked it out now. And I was like, eh, sorry. Do you get on with that neighbour, though? Uh, well, that's the thing. We don't really talk too often. It's like a, hello, how are you? And that's it. But at the same time, I felt I felt terrible. So I think I'm going to be going down to the garden centre today to try and get some coverage for it. And, uh, and I said to her, look, maybe look, if you need to get anything to to make it look a bit nicer than the end that you're looking at, uh, feel free, just let me know and I'll, I'll cover that. So hopefully it'll get done soon. But yeah, so lesson to everyone listening, if you're thinking of doing anything like that, maybe just clear the way first. Uh, it's your your garden. I know, it, I know it is my garden, but at the same time... Like, <laughs> you're not overlooking anyone, are you? No, it's not. It's not that you've cut down a load of trees. It, it is, it is. But at the same time, I did feel a little bit like, oh, she was just like, yeah, it was just a bit of a shock to come home on Friday night and just see it there. Like, yeah, okay. So anyway, so I'm going to go try and find some coverage for it today. So my conscience has been, has been dented a little bit the last day or two. Yes, well, you'll get over it, especially when listening to Holly today because her story is fantastic. Yes. Her drive <laughs> is amazing. It's great to hear that. So like Oliver said, she's a para-Olympian, a para-athlete. And so basically, if you put a contest in front of her, she won it. So I think the Javelin Queen mantle is definitely worthwhile for her. So, hey, with all that being said, everybody, please welcome Holly Arnold. Holly, thank you very much for joining us this week. Thank you for having me. It's really exciting. <laughs> yeah, uh, Holly, as Jay said, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm, I'm busy training, you know, preparations ready for Tokyo because fingers crossed Tokyo is going ahead. Um, I'm currently competing for the first time since 2019 uh, this Saturday. So I'm a little bit nervous. I'm excited. And I just want to get out there and blow the cobwebs away. It's it's been too long. I bet I bet that the there's only so much practicing you can do when there isn't actually the competition element. It, it must be that's something that you need to train like carry on training with as well, right? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, in 2020, it was really hard. There was very limited training that I could do. I can't just go out there and chuck a javelin on the park. So, um, you know, I. I <laughs> I was with uh, without a javelin for a long time. So I think obviously I'm so lucky now that I'm able to be in a position where I can train at the moment full time. I have a bit of structure in my life. It's been the only thing keeping me going. So this uh, this podcast is all about exploring the word normal and working out like what normal actually means. So to kick it off, like, can you tell us what was normal uh, for you growing up? I mean, you always seem like as we've already seen chatting to you already, like how confident and outgoing you are. But was it, was it always that that way with you? No, definitely not. And like I say, normal is not a word that I use in my vocabulary very often. But for me, I think the one time I ever felt, you know, normal was I went to a, um, it's a, it's a group called Reach and it's a foundation and a charity that everybody with limb differences can go and, and they go on holiday together and they do like activities. And that was the first time I ever met people who had a missing arm. So for me, it was like, whoa, there's a whole world out here that I never knew. And I guess silly things like, for me, being a girl, I love my hair. So tying my hair up and the girls were just like, I can't do that. How do you do it? Teach me. And I'm like, okay. And just, you know, I guess I guess for me, that was probably the only time I ever felt normal because everybody looked like me. Um See, I might seem confident and outgoing. I am outgoing, but I think sometimes I'm quite a shy person. 
it's just depending on how I feel and how comfortable I can get, you know, straight away. And uh, obviously you guys are really cool. So I feel really, you know, I feel really happy to talk to you. And I was a little bit nervous beforehand, but there we are. I've got to ask what got you into sport and particularly the javelin, because I remember trying it once at school. And I think I made it about, I don't know, two yards in front of me. And it didn't even land in the ground like you you think it would do. It just was flat and I failed horribly. But how, how did you get into the javelin? I love that. Everyone says that. Oh, I was terrible at javelin. <laughs> when I was about sort of 11, 12 years old, there was an event at my, where I li- used to live in Grimsby. And it was Cleethorpes, mainly known as Fish and Chips and the lovely seaside. So I went to that athletics club. And, you know, there was um, javelin, there was discus, there was shot put, there was running events, jumping events. And I had no idea really what, you know, what all they were. So I just tried everything out. Me and my brother, Ash, you know, we we went together because we're both sporty and he picked up the javelin as I thought a big stick. He threw it and I was like, right, I'm going to beat him. Little sister syndrome (laughs) wants to beat my brother. And I just remember picking up the javelin and throwing it. And everyone was like, have you done this before? And I'm like, (laughs) nope. No, not at all. Since then, I, I joined the Cleethorpes Athletics Club and I got the chance to go to Holland to compete for Javelin to potentially qualify for Beijing Paralympics in 2008. Luckily, I actually went out there and qualified. So I'd gone from never never picking up a Javelin before, competing with able-bodied, not disabled athletes, then to just go to compete in Beijing in front of 90,000 people at 14 years old, it was like, okay. This is, this is, you know, not to a hundred, but whatever, I'll go with it. So yes, but it was a, it was a good journey to start with. I'll go, I'll give you that. <laughs> Did you stick with the javelin? Because that's what you were really good at compared to the discus or again, discus. I remember being told to leave the playing field by, because I tried to throw it like a frisbee, <laughs> which <laughs> uh... the, the, our old PE teacher was a proper old school. No, 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 you don't do it like that. Do it this way. Yeah, exactly. Um, I've always loved, you know, discus and shot put, but for me and really for my event, so my classification is F46. So the F obviously stands for field and the T would stand for track. So it's T and F track and field. And my disability is obviously I'm missing a right forearm. So that's what the uh, the 46 class is classed for, for the arm amputees. And they don't have any other throwing events in our in our classification. So javelin was the only one. But I just love the javelin. I felt like it was the only time where I felt me. Was there a time though when you were younger, when it became clear, I'm I'm really good at this? Would you ever have envisaged yourself having it be a such a defining thing about your character at the time and subsequently go on to be as well? I think when I had the taste of uh, potentially the Paralympics at, again at the age of 14, I then realised that's where I wanted to to become better that's where I wanted to become Paralympic champion and I have an interview somewhere my granddad's got it recorded um he's my number one fan by the way <laughs> he um I said that I was going to win Rio 2016 Paralympics in Beijing I did an interview and I said that and well lo and behold I did but how on earth number one did I know that but also you know when you get older you know things Things don't happen and, you know, sometimes, you know, a lot of, for, for for me, you know, boys could have got in the way or, you know, I just could have given up because I didn't want to carry on because I didn't have, you know, success straight as a way as a young, as a young athlete. So for me, it was the next one was London 2012. 
And that was the main focus then. It was I wanted to become an, a Paralympian again, but to go out there and potentially medal. Mm. Yeah, so going on to the Paralympics, obviously the first one you went to was in Beijing. But yeah. correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think any Paralympics has been so well what viewed by the public than London. Yeah. I went to the Olympic Games and then, but my wife and I, we, we were dating at the time anyway, but we we went to the Paralympics as well. And we talk about that more than the Olympics. What, yeah, what was that like standing in all the different Paralympic stadiums you've been to, but especially London? Yeah, I mean, for London 2012, I think it was it was the Paralympic movement. That's where it started. And I think for a lot of people and definitely for myself, the amount of people's opinion changed in 2012. It was these guys may have a disability, but nothing stops them to achieve what they want to, you know? And I think that... Um, Everybody I speak to now, like, oh, we love the Paralympics. We don't like the Olympics that much. And I'm just like, <laughs> and and I think <laughs> yeah. I'm like, well, um, but I just think that maybe, you know, not only for my sport and what I do, but I also when I get the chance when I finish competing is supporting my teammates, supporting my friends, and oh my god, it's awful sitting on the sidelines. And wanting your friends to win and, and watching them compete and, you know, my emotions that I go through watching them and their inspiration that I get from them and what they do every day. And there's no messing about. There's no, oh, poor me, I've got a disability. We're, we're all equal athletes. Yeah, and I think that was it. Was it, was it that Olympics as well where, certainly over here, it was meet, meet the superhumans. It was like the tagline. Yeah. From... One, a non-athlete, someone who who doesn't register as a well, I was going to say a Paralympian, definitely wouldn't be. That. I don't think you would. You know, like able, able, I wouldn't definitely not that able, able-bodied. Uh, but I mean, in terms of like where you can actually see people and say that is absolutely insane. How one, how good they are. Yeah. But it's not a. Oh, are you are you all right? No, I guess, and obviously there is a difference now between Paralympic javelin female thrower and obviously the Olympic female throwers. We throw the same weight of the javelin, so that's not different at all. We throw 600 gram. Now that sounds so little, but honestly, when you've got you know a javelin length two meters 20 long and you're running sideways, which your body's not used to running sideways, and you know, it's very, very technical sport. And I, I think a lot of my friends when I were younger, they were like, oh, you only throw a stick? It's not hard. I'm like... <laughs> You get on that field and you throw that javelin as far as I can and then come back to me and say it. Definitely, yeah. <laughs> but um, but no, back to 2012, I just think that... Um, see, for me, you mentioned about the superhumans. Now, that's a really good topic for me because I don't like the superhuman tag. Um, and okay. I only feel that... I don't want to be labelled as as you know, a superhuman or I don't want to feel extra pressure to be able to, you know, inspire because sometimes I don't feel like I inspire people. I don't do my job to inspire people. But if I can inspire people along the way because they can watch me go, wow, she's got one arm. She doesn't care about that. She just goes out there and she does what she does. Now, that's what I like. That's what I like the movement to be. But we're all equal, you know, able-bodied and and, yeah. and disabled should be an equal um, playing field and I guess just sometimes that superhuman in my opinion can affect um, other people's sort of you know oh I have to keep winning medals because otherwise I'm not a superhuman you know so I, I see it from that yeah. kind of point I don't know if you've ever looked at that way but um no I've, ne I've never looked at it. until you mentioned it then I I was looking at it purely from a spectator <laughs> yeah. point of view yeah yeah, it's, uh, yeah. yeah that's but it makes total sense you saying that 
you know, at the end of the day, if people like to be called superhumans and if it, that, that makes them feel good, then hey, why not? The, you know, there's no right or wrong in this, in that scenario at all. But I just, for me personally, I just feel like we should all mm. be treated as equals. And, and we don't want to differentiate, uh, you know, the superhuman with able-bodied. It's just we are Olympians and we are Paralympians and that's what we do. Could I, I really don't want to bring it down or anything, but can I just ask, <laughs> talking about London, you probably know what I'm going to say. Um, well, with, with like, I know you were still you were still a young athlete at the time. Was it fifth you ended up in the end? Yeah. So what, was there pressure? You Did you put pressure on yourself to medal? Yeah. <laughs> and because it was a home games. Can I ask, what was that like for you personally? Did that make you want to pack it in or did that just give you more drive knowing that the next ones in four year times in Brazil you would you would go all the way I so I took 2012 really harsh um obviously I put incredibly amounts of pressure on myself I'm I'm so bad for it I still do it now I, I put too much pressure on myself but you know a home games where your family and your friends and anybody you know can come and see you I just felt like I had the sort of medal pressure my home pressure my self pressure and unfortunately i was 18 so i was 18 in london 2012 and the coach i was with was very much like you know you're going to win a medal you're going to win a medal and but i didn't believe that i could win a medal because it was you know i was so far off it and you know number 1 was 4115 number 2 was 4111 i think and then bronze medal position was 39 and a half meters and I ended up throwing a personal best of 36 and a half meters, which is incredible. But at the time it was like, I'm not good enough. I'm never going to win a medal. I'm never going to be Paralympic champion. And I took that really harshly and I shouldn't have. I was 18 years old in my second Paralympics in front of my home crowd. I came fifth with a lifetime best. You know, why couldn't I be happy? But of nature of an athlete, I want more. I was really sad. You know, when I saw my parents and my family after I was... I was crying, I was an absolute mess. And I was like, I'm so sorry I've let you down. And they were like, what are you talking about? I was like, I, I've let you down, you know, I'm not good enough. And they were like, will you shut up? You know, you've just, we are so proud of you, no matter what, you know, no matter what you win or where you come or what you do in life, we're just so proud of you. And I think I, it took me a couple of months to realize that I, you know, I'm an Arnold, I don't give up. You know, that's not in my nature. So I sat down and we spoke to my mum and dad and we had a serious discussion about moving. So I lived in Grimsby at the time and we decided to move to Wales, which was a six hour journey. I moved for coaching and you know there was more nutrition, there was more strength and conditioning work and it was more of a, a main base center that I could you know, improve. So that's what we decided to do. And that's a big, big jump for mum and dad you know, mm. to pursue my career. And I think I always feel that I always owe my parents everything because what they what they did for me. Talking about the highs and lows and everything like that. Obviously, you say like moving moving house, and you've spoken about it before about the effect that that had on your on your mum. Yeah. With that side, of it, which I suppose people forget when you think of a top level athlete, the sacrifice is what the family make to give their their kid the best possible chance yeah. to do that. But your mum obviously moved, when you moved to Wales, not not finding it too easy yeah how was that for you because I bet there's a lot of people listening whose parents do suffer with mental health be it anxiety be it depression or anything like that one how did you notice it or find out about it and and two how did you deal with it support and and everything attached with that 
So obviously, you know, we moved and um, 2013 was where my mum got diagnosed with depression. And really at that time, because depression wasn't spoken about a lot, I I didn't know that mum was, I knew something was wrong with her, but I couldn't put my finger on it. I didn't know why. And she was very much, you know, very low in herself. And a lot of it was because I was training 24 seven in Cardiff. My dad worked abroad. And my brother, of course, was was in Grimsby. Mum was away from her family, her friends. And I just think that um, she works with um, severely disabled children and she's amazing. She's she's incredible. And she just has that, you know, really amazing nature about her. And I guess that even though work was hard for her, you know, any tiny of little reward, she took that and, you know, that she made a difference in that day. But again, it came with challenges. She was kicked, she was punched. And I think just everything came on top of her and she just snapped. And I remember one day um, my dad was, he wasn't shouting, he was just, he was being loud. And I came downstairs and I was like, what's going on? And he was like, show, show, show her. And I was like, show me what? And I didn't realize cause she was wearing my dad's clothes. She went down to seven stone, like my mum's five foot eight and she's usually around nine stone, you know, and she's pretty healthy wow. and she'd lost, a lot of weight. I mean, I, she looks smaller in the face, but sometimes when you hide that with, you know, lots of layers, mm. I didn't notice. And I was at that point, I was, I said to dad, you know, something's wrong, really, really wrong. And all I kind of remember at that, that point was um, she needed to be admitted into the hospital and the psych ward, uh, which was strangely, it was only two minutes away from where we lived. And at that moment, I didn't want to say goodbye to her. I didn't want to take her to that place because it was like, that was like, my, that was saying goodbye. So I was like, I'm not doing it because she's going to come back. <laughs> and it was tough. It was very tough because the first two weeks of her being in there, she she didn't want to see me. It was what it was. So I didn't see my mom. And I realized that in the first few months of, of potentially her having depression before she went in and got sanction, uh, sanctioned was she didn't show emotion. She's quite a loving person, but she showed no emotion and... Um, I didn't see her cry for months and months. And I remember when I got to finally visit her, again, hospitals, mental health wards are not that nice. You know, they're very white. They're very, they're just not a very nice feeling. So, you know, me going there was very, you know, my anxiety was like, oh, I don't like this place. And I just remember mom and she always used to sort of like, um, it was like her brain was hurting her because her mind was thinking so much. And all I could see her was like doing this in the corner. And I was like, there's mom, obviously I was so happy to see her. And she ran up to me and she hugged me for the first time and she was crying and she was shouting, get me out of here, get me out of here. And like to say that to you now without crying is it's a big deal. Um, I bet, yeah. It was awful. And I just thought to myself, wow, like, she's not herself she's not I don't know who this person is but you know on a really positive note she was in there for a good few months she got better towards the end she had ECT treatment which is electric compulsive treatment mm -hmm. that saved her life you know she had six treatments which you know we're really it's it's kind of like zapping the brain it's, it's it's trying to get rid of the the bad you know the bad thoughts and the bad hormone balance in your brain and that's what it's trying to do and I just remember when mom finally came out of hospital, they said to her that she's a miracle because when she came in to the ward, they didn't think she'd ever leave. Wow. wow. And that just shows like how, how, you know, amazing my mom is and how, you know, how her strength, 
in me, you know, brings out that side in me as well. And, you know, it was tough for the family. It was tough for me and dad. We lived in Wales. We were so far away from family. I was training. I had to win a gold medal because after 2012, it was the world championships in Lyon in France. Um, so that was my next goal. And I was going for all this with mum and it was hard. And it, although it's, it's always going to be harder for mum, but because she kind of wasn't there she wasn't living what me and dad were living at the time yeah training was tough sometimes you know i'd go to training i'd go on the i'd go on the train i would just think and cry to myself because it was the only time i felt like i could let my emotions out and that i would sort myself out get training done you know sometimes it was really tough sometimes i just wasn't able to train sometimes i got it done because you know i was angry or i was upset and i just got it done but i think the worst and the best thing about 2013 was going out to, to Leon and becoming world champion for the first time, winning gold medal, but not having my mum and dad there was probably the toughest, you know, after all mm. of that we'd been through together and standing on that podium for the first time with that gold medal around my neck, knowing that mum and dad have done everything for me to get here. It was tough. It was horrible just to look out there and be like, where's mum and dad? You know, I still thought in my head that they were going to mm. be there, but um, I won that medal for mum and she knows that. Nice. Oh, thank you very, thank you very much for sharing that with us, Holly. No, my pleasure. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was going to ask Holly. I mean, would you, would you have any advice for anyone, uh, like who's listening, who's, whose parents or guardians maybe struggling with any mental health issues? Like, obviously, it can be a, a lonely place. Um, yeah. For the, for the child, you know, is there, is there any advice that you would give them? I think, um, for me, obviously, as a child myself, really, um, was you know to, to open up and, and talk about that and. I still have like my demons and, and my battles with um, the past because obviously the past hurt me and it was tough for, for all of us, but I talk about it and it's, and you know, sitting here with you guys today talking about it, it's the best thing ever that anybody could do. You know, if you feel alone or you feel afraid and you don't understand why you feel like this is pick up the phone and talk to somebody. And if you don't have, you know, a friend that you don't feel that you're able to talk to, then you do have helplines. You know, you have, you have, so many people there to support you and it's just trying to open your mind to realize that there is people there who just like they want to support you we never knew that back then um i guess we just relied on our family to sort of for support but you know there's so many tv programs about it now and documentaries and i watched Ro ronan kemp's one a couple of weeks back and that mm. was that was amazing yeah absolutely fantastic and you know i didn't stop crying for the whole entire hour honestly but it was so amazing and you know it, the younger kids dealing with it and especially in men you know a lot of men feel like they can't talk about it or they have to man up which is a horror never ever say that to anybody yeah worst worst saying in in the world it is, I think, man up. Yeah. It is. but it, it does show as well how far we've come in what eight years that yeah. now we can talk like just eight years ago yeah. That wasn't that you wouldn't talk about it so much. So it's great no. that it's becoming more more of a thing. Hello and welcome to the part of the show where we share your did you knows and answer your questions. Yes, thank you very much for sending them in. As always, they've been absolutely fantastic. So the first question is from Sal in Malaysia. Hello, Oliver and James. My dad is always making dad jokes, as dads do. So my question is. What was your favourite dad joke growing up? Do you think you're old enough for your jokes to be called dad jokes yet? 
Most of my dad's favourites are my native tongue Malay, but he has one of his own in English, which is, why didn't the son go to college even though he's bright? Because it already had a million degrees! Ah, <laughs> I love it. Love that one. Sal, your dad sounds like a legend. There are many dad jokes as they are deemed, but I think they are the best because everybody at the end of it always has to go, wee. <laughs> don't they? Yeah, there was, uh, there's, there, there's one I could, I could think of. It's a bit morbid, though. A rabbit goes into a, a, um, a cafe and the cafe owner says, uh, hello, what would you like? And this rabbit is there with his wife. The wife says, oh, I'll have a salad. The husband rabbit says, I'll grab a, a cheese on toast. Next day, same two rabbits come back in. The cafe owner says, what would you like? And the girl rabbit says, I'll have a, um, a, salad, a salad, please. And the other one says, I'll have beans on toast. Okay, next day, same rabbits come in. What would you like? I'll have a salad. Another rabbit, um, can I just get a, a ham and cheese toasty? Okay, fine. Next day, only the lady rabbit comes in. And the cafe owner says to the lady rabbit, oh, where's, where's the other rabbit? And she says, oh, he's, he died. He says, oh, sorry, how, can I ask how it happened? And uh, the lady rabbit says, yeah, he was mixing his toasties. That was crap. <laughs> a little bit morbid, but I thought it was very funny. For those who don't know, are wondering, what the hell is it? Myxomatose is actually a fatal disease in rabbits, so it's quite a dark joke, really. I think that's a horrible joke, personally. <laughs> my, I remember my geography teacher told me that. I would say my favourite dad joke is one of the simple ones, such as, what do you call a man with no shins? Tony. What do you call a man in a hole? Doug. What do you call a man in a smaller hole? Douglas. Yeah. Yeah, a very good one, I always think, which was, uh, was actually on the young ones I heard it. It was like, I've told you a million times, don't exaggerate. The next one is from Sienna. And she says, hi, my name is Sienna from Wisconsin, and I'm loving this season of the podcast. Thank you. I've had this question since I started following you both. Are you related to great American swimmer Michael Phelps? No. I think, I, I think the question should be, is Michael Phelps related to great podcasters Oliver and James Phelps? Can I say that? <laughs> maybe. 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 Uh, to, my, to my knowledge, we are not. Maybe way back when. I don't know. I've got to be honest, having someone with a famous name like that is very easy when you're checking into a hotel and they say, how do you spell your name? You say, like the swimmer. Oh, okay. Anyway, the next one is a voice note from Rosalie from the Netherlands. Hello, James and Oliver and everybody who's listening. I have a question. Myself, I am actually a very bad dancer. I only can do the Macarena. Uh, although I really like to dance, it just looks terrible to be honest. So my question is, what are your best dance moves? Bye! <laughs> uh, best dance moves, mosh pit, two words. Yeah, I've seen you in the mosh pit. That's all I do, bounce around like a pinball. The running man, that's a good good move. The Macarena, I've got to say the Macarena is a bit of a a go-to, although I do stumble on that every so often. The pogo stick jump, yeah, that's a good one. Electric slide, that's another one. You know, you know the film Hitch. You know, and he teaches Kevin James's character just the just the sway. I know this isn't going to work because it's audio. This, but just imagine me swaying, clicking my fingers. That's probably my favourite one there. But great question, Rosalie. So now we go on to did you knows? So the first one is from Katie Lou in Oregon. Hi Ollie, hi James. My name's Katie and I'm from Oregon. Um, I have two did you knows that I think you guys would find pretty interesting. Uh, the first one is, did you know that hedgehogs are lactose intolerant? And the second one is, you guys, both of you, are approximately the size of baby giraffes. 
anybody taller than six foot is about the size of a baby giraffe. <laughs> so I hope that was a good enough, I hope those were good enough did you knows. Katie Lou, that was awesome. <laughs> I feel like I achieved something. As soon as Katie Lee said that, I just made me think of that South Park episode with the noise of a baby giraffe. <laughs> yes, also I did know that hedgehogs were lactose intolerant. I didn't. So never leave a saucer of milk out for them. It won't sit well with them. I didn't know that. But anyway, thank you very much, Katie Lee, for those lovely, lovely facts. Anyway, we're going to move on now to Emma, who sends his voice note in. This is my did you know or fun fact, which could maybe end the debate between Oliver and James on whether ham, I'm sorry, pineapple belongs on pizza. Uh, did you know that pineapple is actually an actual tenderizer of meat because it's so filled with a specific enzyme which breaks down the protein chains in meat. People say it's a great marinade, meaning that James is right and it does belong on pizza. Thank you. Yes, Emma. Yes. Emma, thank you so much for sending it in. We welcome all comments except that one. No, Emma, I completely agree with you. You are very right in this. So scientifically proven now. Thank you. Don't worry. If, uh, if anyone from Italy is listening, we can definitely pass on Emma's name and address uh, for you to go and have a chat. <laughs> you leave Emma alone. She's right with that. It's scientifically proven. Anyway, anyway, we've got one final voice note, which is from Lucy up in Scotland. Hi, my name is Lucy. Something I find completely normal, but a lot of other people don't, is just blurting out your favourite Harry Potter lines with the voice of the character that says it. Like, I don't see the issue with midway through a conversation just going, Well then you know the solution then, don't you? Next time as a ball, pluck up the courage and ask me before somebody else does. And not as a last resort. I, I think we should normalise that. But then maybe that's just me. <laughs> Lucia's got an amazing accent switch there. Bloody hell, that was like Emma was in the room. Yeah. I completely agree with you there, Lucy. Um, I, I think you should always blurt out at some point your favourite quotes from whatever that means. Maybe it would be Harry Potter. I am a sucker for Simpson quotes any time of the day. If a bit of food gets put in front of me, I'll start going, oh. And doing that, you know the thing with his fingers Homer does when he likes it? He goes, hmm. That'd be me. I think I think that definitely is a normal a normal trait like playing golf. I'll every now and then just come into doing a uh, a, a line from Cadwick Shack. Okay, here he is now. Just coming to be story. He's going to he's going nay nay in here. But anyway, guys, thank you so much for sending all those in. And if you want to send any more in for our last show of the season, please email them into normal not normal podcast at gmail.com. That's normal not normal podcast at gmail.com. Or tweet us using the hashtag normal not normal and the hashtag did you know. And if you are under the age of 18, sending us a voice note or jingle, please, please, please get permission from your parent or guardian first. So, everybody, thank you very much. Now back to the show. Going back to four years later after London, you go yep. to the Rio de Janeiro Olymp Paralympics. Yeah. I still remember watching when you when you won your gold. And I'm one of these people where I'll sit on the sofa for pretty much the eight weeks of the Olympics and the Paralympics. <laughs> And I'll just start welling up for no reason when like you, you see someone performing. I remember to this day watching you and I remember welling up like she's won world like she's broke world record. <laughs> and then she's gonna win then like when obviously you got to your fifth one and then you smashed it again. It's like just to add just to add it in. It was it was so incredible to watch and for that moment to know that you've you've thrown that javelin further than anyone else in history in your discipline. 
Yeah. Like that that must be surely you must get a special medal for that as well somewhere. Even if it's made of chocolate or something. <laughs> um <laughs> Well, obviously, you know, you know, Rio 20, 2016 was incredible because not only I became Paralympian, well, Paralympic champion for the first time, I broke the world, you know, the world record that I'd been chasing, really, let's be honest, since 2008. And obviously I was so emotional. It was so hot. It was like 40 degrees. My face was melting. Oh, and my emotions, I was like, okay, you need to calm down, crying, calm yourself down. And obviously my my mum, my dad, my boyfriend, my brother and his mum, they were all, all over there and I could see them and they were like jumping up and down in the flags. And I was like, calm down, guys. <laughs> I've got like four or five more throws chill your beans but yeah just just that moment of standing on the podium and and knowing that i became paralympic champion and break the world record it's just it's something that i will never ever forget and it's it's amazing but on that note i don't actually hold the world record at the moment so my uh my yeah. arch my arch enemy um <laughs> from new zealand she she's got the the world record she broke that in 2019 but again i feel like i didn't have chance to defend myself because we weren't competing together so she obviously competes in new zealand and i compete in england because we have you know very different throwing seasons but i guess really for me is that it, it's that aim you know i want that world record back i want to carry on like i want to keep winning medals and keep pushing myself and i want to throw the furthest that any any f46 female has going back to last year when obviously the olympics were supposed to yeah. take place and then hearing did you how did you find out that it was put back a year did you find out with the rest of us how did, i found out i was on twitter i was really adamant that it was going ahead and i remember my boyfriend josh was like hol you know you really need to be prepared to potentially the paralympics might not be going ahead i'm like no don't talk to me about it no it's going ahead it's fine and I remember being on, on Twitter and, and I, I think somebody potentially leaked out the information the day before. And I read and I read it and I, I said to Josh, obviously my eyes filled with tears straight away. And I said, just give me five minutes. And I came upstairs and I don't know, I think it was one of my first anxiety attacks I ever had in my life. And I just couldn't breathe. My chest hurt so much and... I just felt at that time and that moment that my life was just, I didn't know what to do. It was, you know, for people who don't understand athletics or don't live an, an athlete's life, it's it's not it's not being selfish to say that that was the only thing that I had that year to live for. Sounds silly, but that was my only goal. That was my only structure every day to train every day for this, you know. And it just took me back, you know, back by surprise. And I struggled for about three months, four months. I didn't train. I told my coach I needed space. I didn't really speak to my friends. Um, I just shut off from the world. And I felt like the world crashed down on me. And I was like, actually, Hull, take a step back. You know, the world's crazy right now. And you just have to be lucky that you're alive and your family's well. And I needed that. I needed mm. that perspective because... God, I feel so awful for the people who have lost family and wasn't allowed to have a funeral to see them and people who have lost their jobs and their houses. And yeah, it's it's been awful. So I guess it was just a really, a really nice realization of, yes, I suffered and I had a bit of a mental breakdown uh, myself, but it, it's okay. That's fine. I guess, yeah, but like you say, though, it's, it's easy for everybody else to say, oh, it's all right, they're going to happen next year. You'll be okay. But it's... That's another year of training. That's another year of 
everything Mental. and mentally getting ready for it yeah yeah so in that free time that you had shall we say is that how you ended up doing the i'm a celebrity in <laughs> wales um yeah yeah that was such a strange uh, it's amazing so um yeah obviously it's sort of last year march end of march beginning of april my agent sat me down and said um can we have a, a video call we, we need to talk to you about a potential opportunity i was like okay I was like, okay, so they sat down and we had a conversation via Zoom and they were like, okay, so it's a quite a big show. And I was like, okay. They were like, we really like it. We hope you're going to like it. And I was like, can you just tell me, please? That suspension's killing me over here. And they were like, I'm a celebrity. And I was like, my first thought was, no, no way. I'm not doing it. <laughs> I am not made for that. And the funny thing is, and I swear down, and hopefully my boyfriend will vouch for this one day, is the day before my phone call, we were sat outside in the garden, again, because it was stunning weather. Um, a spider was on me and I was like, uh, uh, I hate spiders. I was like screaming. <laughs> and he was like, he was like, oh my God, what's wrong with you? And I said, God, I don't know how people do I'm a celebrity. And then the next day that happened. And I was just like, this is so weird. So he was upstairs working. I ran to him. And I was like, guess what? Guess what? And he was like, what, what? And I was like, I've potentially been asked to go and I'm a celebrity. And his face was like, what? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, I know. And then he was like, we literally just said, I was like, I know. I was just like, you know, how is this, how is this real? How is this opportunity, you know, arrive for me? This is just crazy. You know, I'm an athlete and I never feel like, you know, especially disabled athletes or Paralympians get that opportunity to do something like that. And to be able to go on I'm a Celebrity, to be the first Paralympian, the first disabled person to go on there, I felt so privileged. And then it was just a very long few months of, you know, at that time it was Australia. So I was going to Australia at that time. Mm. We had a Zoom call and they told us about, you know, we can't go ahead with Australia because it's just too difficult, it's too dangerous. There's too much isolation involved. So it's potentially somewhere else. And they, they had a picture of the castle, but they didn't tell us where it was. So of course me being sneaky took a little photo of the castle. We googled yep. it. My boyfriend's well. She's from, he lives in Swansea, so he found it and he was like, "It's North Wales." I was like, "No way!" I loved it. I hated the beans and rice. Yeah. I hated the fact that we shared one bathroom and it was smelt like God knows what. But um, it was it was the best thing I ever did i absolutely loved it i was gonna ask, i was gonna ask what would you say would be your best and worst moments i think the highlight was meeting the amazing people like i think you know once we got to know people it was like instant gelling like my favorite moment was probably the one where i took the mick out of myself and vernon was eating we had crayfish tails which i love so i was like cracking don't care whatever get stuck in there and uh, he's like oh trust me to have the one arm one he didn't even think of course and i went I don't knock it because I don't care. Like I'm so open about my disability and I take the mick out myself. Yeah, love it. Loved it. We had um, James Haskell on earlier this season and he was talking about when he went in it and how certain things were edited and how they had great conversation about some things and they weren't even put in the show but the smallest thing they would be magnified to appear like a drama or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Did, did, did you, I guess you only find things out when you come out. Is that right? Yeah. Um, so for me, I guess my my big thing was um, the whole thing about the MBE. Um, so yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, we were told we were told to say our full titles. Um, so when they came to my house to film, um, I had to say obviously 
Holly Arnold, MBE, Paralympic champion, world champion, European champion, um, Commonwealth champion. I don't use my title like that usually. And to be honest, I'm, I'm not ashamed of it at all, but I just don't use it. So it was very strange for me to say that. And when I came out, there was so much backlash about me seeing MBE. And to be honest, it was quite, it was, it was upsetting and, and there was lots of nasty comments and people making TikToks about me and it hurt. That's a real shame. It's almost a, a poppy syndrome, a poppy field syndrome. People have got to be cut down size because of, yeah. as you say, doing what you were told to do as well. Yeah, exactly. And people think I'm stuck up and I'm like, I'm the least stuck up person you'll ever meet. People were quite rude and nasty and comments and I just thought, you don't know me like like, come on, guys. But it's just life. It's it's social media, unfortunately. Well, it's always the vocal minority, isn't it? Anyway. Yeah. But I guarantee you, somebody who watched that show has now taken up the javelin. I hope so. Uh, that's, that's a guarantee, isn't it? Someone will have gone and tried that out. So that's a great legacy for you to leave as well. As long as they don't break your record when you get it back. Yeah, don't be mean. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, being on there, obviously you're there with performers, be it you know, be on stage and screen and stuff, and other other athletes as well. But what's it was it like for you being in that environment without without your javelin? It was very daunting for me to be amongst these incredible people. All I said to myself was, "Go in there and be you," and that's the only thing you can do. If people don't like you, that's fine. If people love you, that's amazing. And I think I was really shy in the first few days, so. And I think mm. I was just trying to take things in. I couldn't believe that I was on I'm a Celebrity. I don't feel like I fit in here right now. But when you got to know people and it's so strange that you become like just jealous one. I've never sort of opened up so easy in my entire life. You know, I, I don't like to wear my heart on my sleeve. And But being in there, you just form friendships instantly. And I never realized that. You know, a lot of people say, oh, yeah, you know, it was amazing friends. But I hope that people watching I'm a Celeb this, you know, last year for us guys, the amount of love and respect we had for each other. Yeah. And I guess, I guess really is having, you know, not having my sport and javelin was actually a relief. It, it gave me chance to, mm. for people to know Holly Arnold, um, to people to get to know Pat personality and that I'm a bit weird and I like to sing and I'm, you know, just one of the lads. And, you know, I'm also a girly girl, which was really strange because I didn't look at myself most of the time in the mirror because I was like, oh my God, I don't even know what I look like today. So <laughs> we're just going to roll with it. But you know what? That gave me such a, such a positive insight to myself. Like I felt like I realized who, who I, who I am. You know, I realized that I'm a lot more resilient and stronger than than I give myself credit for. And I haven't watched that back yet. It's just because I want my memories to be how it was, the way I remember it, yeah, not sure, ed yeah. not edited memory. So when I came out and mm. obviously being the first out was, that was the hardest thing, I think. But, um, you know, when I came out, I watched every single episode until the winner. And it was so hard to watch the guys and, and not be there and be like, uh, that didn't happen or that was said you know completely different and I was like I don't like this because it's just it's not the way it felt or it was um and I think it was really hard is when I sat down and could watch everybody their reaction to when I left oh it broke my heart it absolutely because it, it literally felt to me and a lot of people have said it like that I died that I'd gone I'd never be back and they'd never see me and people, because they were so sad and, oh, I don't know, it just broke my heart at the same time. But yeah, that's how close like we were. In yeah. such 
short space of time as well. That's uh, yeah. yeah, very Two special. <laughs> it felt longer though. Yeah. <laughs> I, winter in North Wales, I guess. That's, no, I can't say that. No, we'll edit that out. <laughs> no, we won't. Cold. You can deal with that, Raph. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so what would, you, what would you say then, Holly? What does normal mean to you? There is no such thing as normal to me. I think that everybody is their own individual and... At the end of the day, um, for me, is you know, being you is your own strength. That's something I always use as my quote. And whatever feels normal to you, that's your normal. Well, I hope you can answer my question then. What is the most normal thing about you? Um, <laughs> I don't know. Um, probably the only thing normal about me is that I, I'm just a normal girl who has dreams, who loves the javelin, and and wants to live life to full, and and. You know that's that's where that's what I do and that's what I am. So on the on the flip side of this, then, what would you say is the least normal thing? <laughs> um, I don't know. I I think um, like I'm really critical of myself as we're always potentially told how to look. We you know we're meant to look a certain way as an athlete, and I'm a thrower. I, I guess mostly we don't see throwers as as being a girly girl. You know who loves makeup. They might they might think throwers quite manly and. I'm the polar opposite. I make sure that I have my brows, that I have my nails done, which aren't done at the moment. And, you know, just to feel me, because if I feel good, then I hopefully will compete good. And it's nothing to do with being vain or, you know, to self-indulge in what I look like. It's just a, it's a ritual that I, that I do. It's just to make me feel better. But yeah, I should be, I should be less critical of myself and be proud of my achievements. So I've, I've got something which I call the 3am questions, basically Quick fire, but the right answer comes to you when you can't sleep at 3am. Okay. So the first one is, what is your favourite food? Oh, crisps. Is that food? Yes. Yes, crisps or steak. What is your favourite book? Bridget Jones. <laughs> I don't read a lot of books and I really wish I, I, I would because especially a lot of people told me to read Harry Potter books because they are incredible. And I was just like, they're so big and there's so many of them. But um, I am reading a lot more now. But my Bridget Jones was like my first ever book read. And because I loved the film, it was my favourite book. Well, when you go on your um, long journey to Japan, you could have download the audio version, audiobooks of Potter. Yeah, I'll do that. Um, yeah, when everyone's listening to music to psych himself up, you can be listening to the <laughs> Yeah. Chamber of Secrets. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, what is your favourite song? My favourite song is Andrea Day, Rise Up. It's my favourite song. It's really emotional. It's really empowering. And I just love her voice. What is your favourite film? Am I going to have to say Harry Potter? Because I do love Harry Potter. Um, I'm going to have to say The Grinch. I love The Grinch. Which one? The only one. There's only one of them, <laughs> okay, okay. which is Jim Carrey. I just, it's like, I don't even know. It just makes me so happy. And sometimes I feel like the Grinch because I'm such a, a people person. But at the same time, like, I, I sometimes like feel like I hate people. I don't want to be around people. So I feel like I am the Grinch sometimes. I can relate, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been really enjoyable and um, I wish you nothing but success in Tokyo and everything else that you do. Thank you so much for having me. Cheers. All the best. I'll take care. Cheers. Thanks a lot. I really, really enjoyed that chat. Thank you so much, Holly, for joining us. The, her story into the sport that she's now a champion at. How many people can say that? It's really inspiring. And even the setbacks that she goes through on the way were just really inspiring to see. So thank you so much for joining us and also sharing all 
everything that goes on off the field, I guess it is. Yeah, especially I think as well, what was really interesting is how Holly was saying, because you don't really think about, obviously you think about the athlete themselves, but as, as we mentioned in the show, the impact of what it takes for your parents to do that, like they relocated for Holly to have the best the best chance of making it as a as a professional athlete and the toll that that took on on the family as well so being able to open up about that uh with everything that her mum went through as, as as we said in the intro hopefully people have been able to listen to this and just think oh maybe my maybe my parent isn't isn't doing quite well and just taking taking the steps to to help that it sounded from what from what she was saying how way down the rabbit hole her mum was into the depression but luckily they were able to to treat her because it isn't just young people who are affected by it It it's such an important story what she told so holly thank you so much for sharing it and we're so glad to hear that your mum's doing better as well here here so i thought to for my did you knows this week i could bring it all about the para olympics and para athlete movement yes did you know the first paralympic games was in 1960 in rome it was, it was the first time it had been held alongside the Olympic Games, but at the time, it was still known as the International Stoke Mandeville Games. Stoke Mandeville, for those who don't know, is a great hospital in England where disabled people were encouraged to play sports as a form of rehabilitation or getting used to their new circumstances that they're in. And this is where we now come to the Paralympic movement as we are. And so the word Paralympic derives from the Greek perception of para, which stands for beside or alongside. So that is why the Paralympics and the Olympics can live side by side. Really? Yep, that is where Paralympics come from. So I I mentioned to to Holly there that during London 2012, I went to the Olympics, I was very lucky, I went to the Olympics and the Paralympics, and the Paralympics were the best I mean, the Olympics was fantastic, but the Paralympics was, was was something else. Like, it really was. The atmosphere, everything. It was just, it gives me goosebumps just thinking about it. And when I was leaving the stadium, as we were, we were walking across, I asked, I was there with my now wife, then girlfriend, to have a photo of, of us in front of the Olympic Stadium. And the chap who was taking the photo, he said, oh, are you are you leaving now? And I said, yeah, yeah, um, it's the last day. We've We've got to go. Because everyone was going in. I think Coldplay were playing the closing ceremony. So everybody was going in there. And he said, well, I've got two tickets for the wheelchair rugby final. I can't go because I'm going to the stadium. Why don't you have these? Thank you very much. So my wife and I then went to watch wheelchair rugby, which brutal. is possibly the most brutal <laughs> sport I've ever known. So my random fact for you is, did you know another name for wheelchair rugby is murderball? And what was quite funny, like, so there was about 20,000 people watching this final. Great game. But only halfway through, I realised everyone was cheering when one of the guys smashed and they literally had to have a tyre replacement because it got crumpled in the impact. And I was sitting next to a guy in a wheelchair and he was saying, how many times do you cheer when a disabled person gets knocked over on their wheelchair? (laughs) It was was like, wow, yeah, you were right. But this guy ended up... turned out he was uh, a member of another team who hadn't made the final, but he just wanted to watch the final. And it was so... The word inspiring gets taken up by so many things, but it really was incredible to see these guys just absolutely batter each other to become Paralympic champions in this amazing sport. So, again, if if Paralympics is ever in your town, go and watch Murderball. It is incredible. 2012 really was the turning point for the way that disability was viewed in the UK. 
3.8 billion people watched London 2012 Paralympics, right? Four years later in Rio de Janeiro, 4.1 billion people watched the Paralympics. So it just shows that it is a growing festival of sport, shall we say. So I'm really excited to watch that when Tokyo comes along later this year. I hope that it gets even more support than that. So that is my did you knows for the day. Boom. Is that, is that, is that how you're going to finish it from now on? Boom. Anyway, just wanted to let everyone know that unfortunately, next week is the last episode of this season. Uh, so we'll be taking a break and we'll be coming back with season three or season two, whatever way you want to call it, of normal, not normal, later this year. And yeah, I just want to say, I'm not going to say it next week as well, but thank you so much, guys, for all the love, all the support, all the participation all the feedback, everything what you guys have been able to put into the show to make us want to keep doing it, it really, really means the absolute world to us. So between now and next week, be it maybe you're checking out the uh, represent.com forward slash normal not normal page for merch, where, as we said last week as well, that proceeds are going towards certain causes what have been raised throughout the whole season of this podcast series. But yeah, in the meantime, guys, stay safe. Keep being absolutely fantastic. Lovely to chat to you again. Thank you so much to Holly Arnold for her insights and everything like that. I've been Oliver Phelps. I've been James Phelps. Guys, we'll see you next week for the final Normal Not Normal of the series. Bye. Normal Not Normal is a stable production.